Well, see, what had happened was I wasn't good enough. You wasn't good enough? No. Lies. <laughs> <laughs> because if I was, I would be a millionaire. <laughs> My pockets would be overflowing. <laughs> I wouldn't be living in Dayton. I would be out on the coast somewhere, on an island. <laughs> wow. What had happened was we lost the record deals with all three groups I was in due to the rise of rap music and the fall of R&D. Hey, funky friends. Thanks for finding the What Had Happened Was podcast. It's me, Amelia Robinson from Dayton.com, and I had the absolute pleasure of talking to Dayton funk legend and Grammy Award winner Keith Harrison. Keith breaks down his years riding high as a member of not one, not two, but three influential funk bands. Keith played with Dayton funk bands Fazo and Heatwave and won a Grammy in 1982 with the Daz Band out of Cleveland. It was not an easy ride, though. Keith breaks down how much money he never earned on Faisal's hit, Riding High, and where he thinks that money went. He describes being dazzled by Satch from the Ohio Players and his fishbowl table. He explains why he used cocaine, heroin, and nearly every other drug in the book before giving it all up. Speaking of books, Keith is writing one. Riding High is expected out next year. The What Had Happened Was podcast is a project of Dayton.com, produced in the WHIO radio studios in always sunny Dayton, Ohio. Like and rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you find the shows you just love and love and love and make you feel funky. I have a bit of good news for you. The What Had Happened Was podcast was just named a finalist by the National Association of Broadcasters for a Marconi Award. Whoop whoop to that. Here's my funky chat with Keith Harrison ahead of his August 3rd show at the Levin Pavilion. So how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Loving every minute I breathe. <laughs> <laughs> now, which high school did you go to? Jefferson Township High School. Go Broncos. <laughs> <laughs> now, were you guys doing all the battling with the other high school bands? Oh, yeah. There too? was always battle of the bands. We even did a review. We went around to different schools performing talent shows. Back then, they had a thing called the bandwagon. Have you ever heard of the bandwagon? No, what is that? It was a flatbed trailer that the Montgomery County Rex would take to all the park and have talent shows and really? get on this flatbed. I still have the trophy we won back then. We're talking in the 70s, late 60s. We won first place. We had two go-go girls, Carolyn and Joanne. <laughs> were they actually girls? or were they? Yeah, they were actually girls. Okay. Because we played a lot of James Brown stuff back then. Oh, so they were getting on the good Yeah, you know, I grew up on James Brown, Sly and the Family Stone. I even grew big, thick sideburns like Sly, had my afro like his. <laughs> you know, and they used to call me Chop Chop. Yeah. So why Chop? Oh, because of the Chops. Because of the Chops. See how smart I am, I yeah. figured that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was cool, you know, because we had our own thing. All the bands had their own thing, their own kind of sound. And that's what made Dayton so unique about the different groups here. Because everybody had a different kind of thing going on. I particularly didn't like battling the bands because it wasn't proving anything to me because you, you all had your own style of music. Was it all influenced by the Ohio players, would you say? Or no, no, okay. not for me. Okay. Uh, because... When I came up, I wasn't listening to the Ohio players. And then the first song I heard 
by the Ohio players was pain. Okay. Everybody loves pain. Yeah. yeah. And that drew my ear to who they were. As time went on, never knew we would cross paths with the late Clarence Satchel. As we had grown, Faso had grown, we had three three badass white boy horn players. I mean, these dudes was cold. And we were headed to Atlanta to relocate, you know, down south. And we were going to hook up with Al Heyman Productions. We were doing our last gig at Wampler's Red Barn Arena for the Postman's Ball. And Satch was there. And he came up to us and he said, hey, I got $24,000. I'd like to take you guys in the studio. And we was like, wow. We knew he was. You know, he was the only one decked out in a, a one-piece leather jumpsuit. <laughs> No, with the, with the bouffant. Uh, turned to one side, yeah. <laughs> With rings flashed. And we was like, oh, wow, man, that's Clarence Satchel. I'll play it. So he said, who's the leader of the band? At the time, the bass player, Tyrone Crum, was the leader of the band. And so he says, if you're interested, here's my address. Be over my house tomorrow morning. So, you know, we said, let's check it out. But the horn players, they were dead on wanting to go down south. And we said, well, there's nothing wrong with checking it out. So we went over to his house, we must have sat in his driveway almost two hours, not knowing he had cameras and he's watching us. So you sat in the driveway not knowing that he was watching you the whole right. time? Oh, that's funny. So when he finally came out, we said, why did it take so long to, to come out? He said, I was watching you guys, wanted to see how bad you wanted. He says, because you would have left if you didn't want, you know. So he invited us in, clapped his hand, the music came on. Like we was like, woo, wow. Oh, this is before clap one, clap one. Yeah, off. he had yeah. before it even came out. <laughs> <laughs> Saw all these platinum and gold records all around the walls. It, he had this big screen TV, and and in the island was this thing that had three bulbs to it. You know, it was the Sony TV, the first big screen TV that that came out. It had Nachimichi equipment. He had a fish bowl table fish swimming around under it. We were just in awe. He took the bass player back in his, his office, came out. Bass player said, fellas, it's going to be all right. We got signed under him. We went into Paragon Studios up in New York, brought in some of the Ohio players to help produce the album. We already had had a lot of songs that we'd been playing in the clubs, like Toe Jam, Riding High, a couple of more. When the album came out, that's what got me into learning about the business. I saw 13 people's names on two of our songs. It was all the Ohio players' names. Wow. And all of ours. But they didn't write any of the songs. No, not 13 people. Right. And I'm saying to myself, something's not right. Because, you know, I didn't know the breakdown of percentages and all that stuff then. You know, we was young. All we wanted to do was record. Because how old were you, 18, 19 at this point? Yeah, probably. Uh, you were out of the Air Force at this Yeah, point. I was out of the Air Force. So I was in my... I was the oldest person in the band, so I was about 20-ish, so early 20s. Enamored by the flash and the right. rings. And no, the... country boy. I grew up on the farm, pigs and all that stuff. Didn't know nothing about the city life. You grew up in the township. In the township. Dad was a farmer. Dad was trying to be a farmer. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was a custodian for the city schools, but he had bought a farm. We had chickens, pigs cornfield, orchard full of apples, pears, plums, a garden. And we had all these big fields. We had a football field we had made. We built a baseball diamond and used chicken wire for the backdrop. 
We had a hill to slide down in the wintertime, and he built us a half-court basketball court. So all the kids in the neighborhood would come to our house to play. Right, because it was like a paradise. Right, exactly. We had a barn. We had a pony. In the summertime, me and some of the other guys in the neighborhood would go bail hay to make money and break horses in. That's crazy. Yeah, it was a fun life. I wouldn't even know how to break a horse in. Like, how do you break a horse in? Just you like get on him and try to ride him <laughs> until he stops bucking. <laughs> He'll rub you up against the tree. <laughs> He'll drop his head where you try to flip you over. Oh, he'll rear up, try to flip you out. You got to ride that he'll horse. He'll run real fast and then stop and, and I, shift yeah. his body. <laughs> you got to ride high, right? Yeah, you got to ride high. <laughs> <laughs> and you said before to your mom was the person who kind of yeah. had that musical. When I was 18, I asked my mother, I said, Mom, where did I get the talent to play music? Started out playing organ. My mother said, come here, boy. We had an adjacent playroom that was to the house. It's where the band would practice and stuff. And an old piano was sitting there. My mother sat down on the piano and opened up a hymn book and started playing and reading. I said, Mama, what, what happened? You could have been teaching me. Right, because you were learning on your own at this right. point. And she said, your dad didn't want you to be in music because he felt music was all drugs and alcohol. and So that actually drove me. I got mad. I was so mad at him. So I said, I'm going to prove to him I can do music. That's what put the drive in me to keep going. Because your mom was from the... She was from Indianapolis. Well, how did they come to Dayton? My mother was born in Indianapolis. My father was born here in Dayton, but his dad was from, from Georgia and came up. They all were born here, his brothers and sisters. But their father, my grandfather, was from Georgia. So we would go there for the summers and visit other relatives. They had 500 acres of farmland. Real yeah. farms. Yeah, real farms. Where your dad was Red playing dirt. at. It. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They'll probably come yeah. up here and see your dad yeah. playing and laughing. Barnesville, Georgia. Barnesville. Barnesville. They had their own street, Holloway Drive. Oh, really? Had their own graveyard, you know. So this was their town. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Why do you think your dad was so down on music? I think him coming up, and they would always go out dancing and to the, you know, to the clubs and drinking and smoking cigarettes, so... I guess he seen that atmosphere and it was probably live bands back then. And he kind of figured, you know, he didn't want me to get in that kind of kind of atmosphere. And as time went on, he was right. That's who you attract. You know, you attract the drugs and the alcohol. And, and it's on the individual to get into that if they choose to get hooked on it. How did you not get hooked on it? Because, I mean, you seem to be good. I went through a period of time where I got high. I drank alcohol, took all kind of pills, uppers, downers. I snorted cocaine and I snorted heroin. I smoked all kind of weeds, Acapulco Gold, Geneva Green, uh, Red Bud, Angel Dust, to try to fit in. And when I realized that wasn't me, that's why it was easy for me to stop. How'd you figure out it wasn't you? Because I didn't like what it was doing to me. It was taking away my creativity and how I was developing music. I knew I didn't need that to create music. I saw some other folks would get high before they would do what they would do in music. Just that particular kind of vibe with the body, how I was around my wife. My wife could bend and left me, but she knew there was a demon in me, and she was determined to pull that demon out. And we've been married 43 years. July will be 44 years, July 12th. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And how'd you meet her? High school. She's my high school sweetheart. We dated seven years before we married. Oh, really? So you're, yeah. you're dating her long distance Yeah, then. yeah, yeah. Tell people, how did you get started in music in the first place? I got started in music back in high school. Me and three classmates, we started a group called The Medallions. I played the organ They you know back then. Uh, we had bass, guitar, drums, and a lead vocalist. It kind of sprouted from there. When I turned 18... My dad said, you're not going to lay around the house and do nothing. You're going to have to get a job. I, I didn't even have my diploma in my hand 48 hours. That's funny. <laughs> so like, uh, get it together, buddy. Yeah, so I decided, you know, I said, I want to see the world. So I turned down a football scholarship, first of all. Where were you going to go? It was it was all-boy college. What was the name of that college? I can't think of the name of the college. And I wasn't about to go to no all-boy college. And my parents <laughs> did, couldn't afford to send me to any other college. Right. So I enlisted into the Air Force. When I came out of basic training, you know, they asked you where you want to go. I put in for England, Spain, California, and they shipped me right back here to Dayton, right Pat Air Force Base. So I was able to hook back up with the band. Out of that, some of us grew and became Phase 3, and Phase 3 became Phase O. So after you got signed, though, with the Ohio players, what happened at that point? This is what we didn't know. When he brought some of the players in, to help with production on the first album, they were called Tight Corporation. And Satch had worked a deal out with Atlantic Cotillion Records just for distribution. He had formed a label called She Records. The She stood for Serving Human Equality. Okay. And when the, when the album came out, we thought we were on Atlantic. We weren't. We had what you call a artist production deal. We were signed to the production, and the production had the deal. So you didn't have the deal? No. Interesting. And we also had music ripped off from us. As of today, we still don't own the publishing to Riding High. Is that right? Yeah. So they own that? Rhino Records own it. Okay, so they lost it Satch, to Rhino. Sash had owned it, but I guess through, when he passed, it got kicked around and was being sold here, sold there from his attorneys who had control of it. You know, the most money we've made as a band from Riding Eye, and this is going to be shocking to people because people think, you know, because you've heard it so much, it's been out there, it's been in blockbuster movies, rappers have sampled it, it's like in the top 10% of the most sampled song. We haven't made over $10,000 a piece. Get out of here. It took me 30 years to find an attorney to try to take on the case. He said, I got good news and bad news. He says, the bad news is y'all have lost millions and millions of dollars. I already knew that. He said, the good news is there's a possible chance we could get publishing. So when we went to Rhino, said, just give us a percentage of something. No deal, because they know riding high is their money maker. So here's the other story. I wrote riding high, the bulk of that song. I was high on a 714 in my apartment. What's a 714? It's a downer. It's like a muscle relaxer. Okay. And I had drunk some beers, and I was sitting there, and I was playing those three chords. I did that from 7 in the evening to 5 in the morning. Couldn't come up with a change. So when I went to rehearsal, told the band, said, man, I got this this groove is cold. 
Roger added a, a funky beat to it. Love added his guitar thing and then taught Tyrone the bass line and he added some ad libs to it. Okay, so now we have the bulk of the rhythm. We did a gig down in Atlanta. We was coming back. I was driving. One of the road crew guys was riding a shotgun and the band was knocked out in the van. We stayed at the Sheraton Hotel. Now in the book, you're going to see pictures of the actual lyrics on Sheraton Hotel stationery. Get out I here. still have all that. That's amazing. So I told him, take the wheel, man. I got a vibe for the, for the song. So I wrote. When that, when that high kicked in, I said, I'm riding high. You listen to the lyrics of the song. Oh, riding down the highway. I'm riding high. I can't feel my body. I'm riding high. And I look back, and they was all knocked out. Want to take you on a trip with me. Because I wanted them to feel what I felt. I'm riding high. Now, this is going to get you. There's a funk in the breezeway. What do you think that was? I don't know what. Taking a break from the funk to remind you that you are listening to the What Had Happened Was podcast. And I'm Amelia Robinson from Dayton.com. The Dayton area was hit by 15 tornadoes on Memorial Day. Incidentally, Keith's house was among the more than 2,000 damaged in our community. Days have turned into weeks, and now we're working on two months. Many of our neighbors and friends still need help. There are several ways you can pitch in, and here is just two. The Dayton Foundation Tornado Relief Fund and the Food Bank. I've added links to this podcast description for those who want to help. Now cover your nose. Keith is going to tell us about the funk in the freezer. I farted. Get out of here. Yes. Get out of here. Yes. Can't free my mind. Can't free my mind. Want to take you on a love high. And Bip wrote the second verse. Because the second verse was, I'm, it was about TAC or something. And Sash said, radio would never play that. So we flipped it to like it was a love high. Billy Beck and myself arranged the string and Billy played overdub the organ. Satch and Jack Kramer played sax and trumpet. But as of today, you will hear rumors that somebody else wrote Ryan High. I got proof. I got tapes. My wife is proof. I mean, I don't even try to explain it to people anymore. I just say, yeah, right. The song, we've been ripped off. We'll never be able to recoup that kind of money. Do you think you'll get any of it at all, or do they? Is it, is it a done deal? I don't know. Time will tell. I'm gonna keep pressing. You know, some people are saying let it go. Here's a shocker. I have a riding high part two. It's called Step to the Ride. That'll be coming out soon. It's on your new album, no, though, right? No, I'm planning on doing one more CD, solo CD, because I'm into the writing the books now. I, I love doing that, you know. Well, you're a storyteller. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be called Smell the Funk, and it's going to be a funk CD. It's going to have a big nose on the cover with a finger under the nose. Because it's funky. Because it's funky, but I wanted to put this finger. (laughs) No, no, please. I said, well, that's the funky finger. (laughs) Can't put that finger, though. So I'm going to put it on that, and we, Faisal, have a tapes of a record we recorded in the studio has never been released. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So what does that do to you that, you know, you do all this work, you know you did it, and you worked hard at it, and you you put it's your hurtful. heart. It's painful. 
and to hear other people say they did this and did that, that really hurts. It it really hurts. Why do you keep doing music if it hurts so bad? I mean, like, because I feel like a lot of people would go, well, I'm not going to do music. I'm over it. I'll just put that behind it's me. It's in me. I love music. My kids tell me, Dad, I don't see how you do it. They said, growing up in the house, it's like you always have melodies in your head. Even today when we go out and eat, you're humming or you're tapping on the table or something. I said, it's like a curse, Kiana. I said, you can't get it out of your head. You know, at nighttime, the advantage of having a home studio is if you do have a vibe for a groove, you can just get up and go in the studio and record it. You don't have to wait and book time somewhere. That's the blessing with new technology and stuff like that, things of that nature. But it's in me. It's always been in me. I, I guess genes from my mother and my creator. My creator did this. And he's saying, I ain't finished with you yet. Are you having fun doing it now? Or oh, yeah. I'm having most... more fun yeah. because I'm doing me. Before, when I was in bands, you, re- you, you wrote stuff to fit the group. Now I can do me, and either people like it or they don't. It's uh, what it is. It's what it is. So what have you been up to? I've been uh, trying to promote my new CD that's out, of course. You know, K. Harrison, One Love CD. I just released my first video off the CD called Cardiac. You got to check it out. It's on uh, my YouTube channel, Jewel Key Music. That's J-U-L-K-E-I Music on the YouTube channel. Putting different little outtakes of when I was in the studio doing certain things. Me and uh, my co-writer, Sandman, Sanford Whitlow, we're talking about how the songs came about and things of that nature. We'll also be uploading a lot of my other music as well. People will be able to download the CD from that site as well as my website, www.thekharrison.com. And it's on all your digital outlets, you know, iTunes, CD Baby, all Amazon, that good stuff. all that good stuff. What are you as a musician? What do you want people to know? About? I want them to know that, first of all, I hope they love the music, that over the years I was blessed to record with my constituents uh, in the different groups and I hope that they continue to support me in what I do because they come first. They come first regardless of what we think. Your audience comes first. I always try to please the audience. The fact that you're the only Grammy winner from... There's a Grammy winner from Dayton who wrote a song, was Song of the Year, but he doesn't live here. He lives in Nashville, but he's from here. Then you got over in Springfield, John Legend. Right. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know the weirdest thing that I find is, but you're the only one from the funk yeah, era. Yeah, I'm I'm the only one from the funk era. The weirdest thing that I find is I've been trying to get in contact with John Legend just because we both won Grammys and we're from the the area. You would think you know, let's hook up and see what we can do instead of you hooking up with all these other people outside of your town. Grammy kind of proves that you're worth something, <laughs> if not nothing. But I've done more things than that than that Grammy. You know, in the 80s, I wrote all the music to the Dayton Air Show when they used to televise. I've done Sprite jingles, Coca-Cola, World Travel, recorded with a, a numerous bands. I've toured on with uh, Morris Day and the Time, Low Key, and the Ohio Players. I went out as a keyboard player. It's just a multitude of things. I can't even remember everything. My wife would tell me, you did this. And I said, oh, wow, I don't even remember. 
She said, that's because she was high. <laughs> <laughs> so that's another reason, too, you know, to, to don't fool with that stuff. But I'm truly blessed that I'm here, even through, you know, I had a bout with cancer and and uh, had surgery and beat, beat And that, that was not too long ago either. No, it wasn't too long ago. God gave me a sign to write the solo record. What kind of cancer did you have again? I had prostate cancer. That's what I thought, prostate yeah. cancer. Mm-hmm. I wanted, yeah. I said, yeah. Yeah. I used to smoke cigarettes. Like I said, I I did it thinking to fit in with this audience and realizing that's not me. But do you think you could have done it without doing all that stuff? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are there artists out there that you kind of ran with who didn't get involved in it? And they, oh, yeah. There's mm-hmm. a lot of artists out there that, that didn't do right. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like a magnet. People are drawn to me because I like to talk, <laughs> as you can see. You're a fun I person. I have this aura. Yeah. That, people gravitate gravitate to me you know i'm always upbeat even when i don't feel good sometimes i have to tell people i'm not a puppet on a string where i'm this happy i got problems like everybody else you have the persona the kind of like yeah big personality and i think i get that from my dad my dad was a hard hard worker and hard man on us man wow he he was a laborer i'm glad we had that kind of upbringing now, was he mean or was he just kind of? No, you know, he was a cusser. Okay. He was just strict. He wanted it done. He would go in the room and wipe his finger for dust. If there was dust balls under the bed, he said this word. I didn't know what the word meant then, but I knew it didn't sound right. He said, boy, you're just trifling. <laughs> and I said, dang, that don't sound good. Trifling. Who don't wanna be, you do not want to be trifling. No, That's you don't sure. want to be trifling. It's like words like that. You don't know what they mean at the time. You learn later what yeah. trifling is. Yeah. Like, heck, I don't want to be trifling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like when those things somebody can just say to you and have you balling. <laughs> when we had our first record out, my father then, he was like, oh, my son, this, my son, that. We became like brothers. So in the end, he was proud of you. Oh, you yeah, did it. he was proud. He's very proud, very proud. Was there one point you remember where you said, this is it, I'm stopping all this? I'm going to do it. There was times I wanted to stop, but my wife picked me back up. She said, boy, you better get back in there and start writing. You can't quit. You know, you just say that because it's such a struggle trying to make it in music, especially here in Dayton. You seeing all these other people around you that's like all my classmates have retired. They had factory jobs, GM or what have you, doctors and lawyers. And seem like they haven't, but they look at me and say, I wish I had the life you had. Right. I said, why is it said? Because you're doing what you love to do. I said, well, being a doctor or what, you know, isn't that what you love? But if you look at most doctors, they are musicians. If you go to their homes, they got studios set up somewhere and can play. That's their relief. My relief was music. One time when I felt we were on top, when I was playing with the dad's band, we were on big tours, like with Cool in the Game. Right. Oh, man. I mean, we was traveling all over the world. I was bringing home after taxes back then $3,500 a week. A week? Yes, a week, you know. And there's nine guys in the band. So, so the dad's band is where you made the most money. Right. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And yeah. that's where, so, so people know, that's where you yeah. won your Grammy, yeah. too. Yeah, that was with the Grammy. That's strange how this happened, because... When I left Fazo after 10 years with them, I fell out with the bass player over some things, uh, some personal things. You don't want to see what they are? No, I didn't even do it in my book because the memory is so damaging. It had to be, you know, if if I left Left the group. 
it was to the point where I, you know, I, I was ready to do some, some serious damage. But two weeks went by, and I get a call from Keith Wilder from Heat Wayne. When Keith was going to hook up with his brother, Faisal, that's when we were starting to climb the chart. And he said, man, come on over. I'm going to hook up with my brother. I said, man, but I got my group Faisal, you know, blah, blah, blah. After two weeks that went by when I left Faisal, I get a call from Keith Wilder. They wanted me to, to join the group. And so I joined the group. Johnny had just had his accident. I did two albums with them, uh, Heat Wave Candles and Heat Wave Current. So when we was working on Heat Wave Current over in Europe, was over in England for about eight months working on that, my wife calls and says, hey, there's a guy on the phone, his name's Skip Martin. Do you know him? I said, yeah. So she connected and he said, hey, Keith, what's going on, man? He says, uh, we're looking for a second keyboard player. I told the guys we're getting uh, two for one because you can sing too. <laughs> I was a writer, but Johnny wouldn't let us write. Rod was doing all the writing, which was great. But there was a lot of good songs that Heat Wave turned down too, like Rock With You was one of them. So, oh, really? Mm-hmm, I think I may still have studio tapes. We would record everything in the studio, and then Johnny would say yay or nay. I may still have the demo of where we recorded that. Because one of the things I did, I kept everything. They said Prince got a, a vault. <laughs> you should see my vault of cassettes, 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 reel to reel. I've been going back through this stuff, listening to these different grooves because this stuff's coming back. Well, anyway, fast forwarding, uh, he says, we want you to come join the group. I said, sure. He said, can you be in Cleveland next week? I said, okay. So I changed my flight and flew straight from London to Cleveland, and they were just finishing up the Keep It Live record and starting on another one, which was on the one for fun. And I fitted right in. They was loving me. I was blending with the harmonies. You know, he's funny. And he can play. The rest is history with that. Was that the most fun you had, you think, with that group? or Each group had had this. When different, it comes to groups, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I had a lot of fun in Faisal. Had fun in Heat Wave. Definitely a lot of fun with the dance band. So each one was different. Yeah, I bet that Heat Wave was, like, a remarkably fun, though, like, to be England and, like. Oh, yeah. yeah. J.D. Nicholas was the lead singer and took Johnny's place, who is now the lead singer for the Commodores. Okay. You know, he's been with them for a long time. You know, he was from Cottony. And they would always have this thing about macho. <laughs> so that was J.D. all the time. <laughs> and sometimes it would get on your nerves when you just want to punch him. Oh, that's funny. Derek Bramble was really, really good. You know, he played bass. He's out in California. He's still knocking down recordings and, and writing uh, songs. Now, he did let Derek write eventually on the Heat Wave records. But you keep in contact with a lot of these people? Yeah, right? on Facebook, except for J.D. I, I, no, I haven't been in contact with him for some, quite some. But Billy Jones was with Keith until, you know, he passed. And we keep in touch with his family, Mrs. Wilder, of course. Rosalind, the whole gang, you know. Bilbo, I call Bilbo from time to time. He still lives in England. I haven't talked to Mario. Mario's I don't Mario's somewhere, but he's writing books about afterlife because he died and came back. Oh, okay. Each group, there was a reason for leaving, and people will find that out. I mean, each band was big bands. I think Faisal was the smallest one, but Dad's band was nine people. Heat Wave was 
well, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine people. And when you trying to live around nine grown men and you're on a tour bus and you got bunk beds and you got the lobby, you may have one guy who don't want to sleep in the bunk bed. He wants to sleep in the lobby of the bus. Well, if people want to sit down and watch a movie, but you're laying down, taking up the seat and won't get up. It turns into an argument. See what I'm saying? You got to learn how to, to put up and live with nine different personalities. Yeah, most people can't deal with one and one right. is out of here. Right, <laughs> right. When I was in the dad's band, me and the guitar player got into a fight. I think it was jealousy because when I came in, I came in as a writer. And I was writing songs left and right, and a lot of bandmen said, ooh, I like that, I like that, you know, and they were being chosen to be put on the record. People don't know that Let It All Blow, that I co-wrote, which I'm really 80% of the song. The other person just forced his way into it. it you run into those things, well, if I don't get on it, it ain't going on the record. It's the second biggest selling record next to Let It Whip. Get out of here. Yes, the second biggest. Let It Whip was the first, Let It All Blow was the second. It went to number one in, in Europe. That's cool. Yeah, you just wanted people to hear your music. Then it was radio or nothing. Now you got all this social media, you can put your song up without a record label and people can listen to it. So it's not like it can't happen, but you got to have something that's going to attract people. And one thing is PR. You got to promote yourself. Promote, 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 promote. Now, if you're one of the old school bands out there, people are going to want to come to see you because they know you from back in the day. I mean, man, Look at Frankie Beverly. Right. Frankie Beverly and Maze can go in. Oh, man. But how many times are people going to keep listening to that? Now, I did have a promoter call me from Sacramento, and he's looking to change up the scene. He wants some different groups now. He said, because these same groups come out, I won't mention names, top groups come out here, and we're hearing the same thing every year. He says, Keith, I want to break that. I want some different groups. One, he says, like Sun. You know. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that'd be cool. Mm-hmm. What do you think it all means, all this stuff you've done? How do you put it in, like, context? Man, it sometimes it seems like a dream. Because when you think back, did I really do all of this? And he's like, wow, I've done a lot. I've done a lot in my life. Three different bands. And all had a different thing about them. Successful in their own ways. You know, some more successful than other ones, but right. like still successful yeah, and yeah. influential too. And what I hate about the Fazo situation is we recorded two more albums that really never got heard. Like the Good Thing album. Everybody heard Good Thing, but did they go in depth into the album? Then the last one was Breaking the Funk. We had the Brecker Brothers on this one playing trumpet. And Nobody's really gotten into those those records except for some musicians, but as far as the listeners, they never heard it. And you listeners out there, you know, you can still go listen to Good Thing and uh, Breaking <laughs> the Funk record. Hint, 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 right? Yeah. <laughs> was like a funky space sound, freaky keyboard chords and things of that nature. A lot of people said we sound like the Ohio players. Of course, on the first record, they're trying to vocalize you and 
give you their harmonies and stuff like that. Fourth Satchel on the second and third. Um, we want to do our thing. You know, let's do our thing. Let you become the artist you're supposed right, to be. Right. Exactly. I think that was one of the mistakes the Trotmans did with New Horizon. New Horizon was a, a Dayton local Dayton band that was on the rise, and the Trotmans took them under their wing, but they were sounding like the Trotmans instead of New Horizon. You know, you can only be one, really. right? Exactly. Yeah. What I learned as a producer, you don't want to do somebody to sound like you. As a producer, your job is to pull everything you can out of that artist. And my thing when I produce people, the first thing I said, do you write? I'd rather you write because then I know where you're coming from, what, you know, what's in you. So as a producer, that's what you're supposed to do. What's in you? What is it you want to sing about? If they don't have tracks, I try to pull musicians in and let them play the music for them. And then I'll add the icing on the cake. Yeah, the finishing touches right, and all that. Right, the finishing touches. What do you think you, you would say to yourself if you could talk to your younger self when you first started, knowing now what you know? I should have learned the business first. Watch who you trust, but the business most of all. Mm. Because you, as you can see, the young artists today have their own businesses, their own this, their own that, their own products. They know how to market themselves better. You know, you have social media now as well that's, that's helped that. But they got clothing lines, you know. Yeah. They got this. We never had that guidance. You would think that's what a manager was supposed to do. Make you a brand to make you yeah. own your own co- Exactly. What managers back then worried about was how much money I'm going to make off these guys. You got groups like Don't the Doobie it. Brothers and the Eagles who were set up with health care, investments. All them guys don't even have to play another note, and they set for life. They set up retirement funds. Because you were making that kind of money, you could have set aside for retirement. But nobody really retires from music. We just die off. Just think about it. You hear some artist say, I'm retiring this year. Two years later, they back. <laughs> you know. Right. So because it's wow. that kind of life where even when you get old, you still still love to to do music, play music. I know I can't jump around on stage like I used to. So you go into a different mode. If you plan on continuing to perform live, you write songs at your pace that will fit your pace and hope the people like your music. The music people will hear on August the 3rd uh, at the Levitt Pavilion is R&B soul. I love R&B. I'll be doing some music from uh, the Daz Band, Faso and then my original stuff. The Keith Harrison yeah, show all the way. It's gonna be a Keith Harrison show all the way. At the end of the show, I'm gonna end on a good note, spiritual song called "Thankful." Incorporate children in that. Awesome. Yeah. Why you wanna do that? Cause I feel it's important that people know why they should be thankful and what they're thankful for and who's giving them that. Cause we were talking earlier, and your house was damaged by the tornado and all this, right. but still, you know, you gotta I'm be thankful. I'm thankful. I mean, just think about it. we're alive. A lot of people are alive. You could always rebuild or do something with that fabric stuff, but mm-hmm. as a soul, you're still here. This song is going to be for people who were affected by the tornado as well. Well, hey, thanks a lot for coming in here. I appreciate well, thank it. thank you so much. This has been fun. I enjoyed this. And I enjoy talking to you every single time. Yes, <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. One love. <laughs> Perfect. 
I told you it was going to be a funky episode, and I don't lie. Well, I'll say all the episodes are pretty funky, but you know, whatever. Thanks to the fabulous Keith Harrison for a great show. Be sure to catch his performance August 3rd at the Levitt Pavilion in downtown Dayton. Like all concerts at the Levitt, Keith's is free and you can bring your own drinky poos and goodies. Before the show begins, the Dayton Sister City Committee will be celebrating its 50th anniversary of sisterhood with Oiso Japan. It's going to be a whole festival, so check it out. The What It Happened Was podcast is written, edited, and produced by me, Amelia Robinson, in the WHIO Radio Studios. The show's artwork is by my buddy Troy Liming of TL Creates of Columbus. Until next time, ride high and let it whip. Bye-bye!